You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I swear I've been broke way too long. Oh, 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 oh. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Love surprises. Welcome to Axe to Grind, the hardcore podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Bob. And I'm Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Tom, how are you, buddy? Oh, this shit sucks. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest. Uh, Tom, I woke up at 7.55 today. Uh, that's, that's, that's the equivalent of a lot of normal humans sleeping till noon. Um, so, yeah, you got kids and shit. I know, yo, they were up before me, which is shocking. I've, I've That's had, what I've made, had, yeah. I've had a beat like seventy hours this week. I'm, I need I a fucking too. break. I know, but but we're here, Patrick. How are you feeling? Good morning. You just woke up from a nap. Uh, yeah, very rare occurrence for me, but I've been waking up at odd hours, and mm-hmm. uh, woke up at uh, six today, and uh, that's normal for a lot of our listeners. That's uh, very unpleasant for me because that means I'm tired at like three p.m. Uh, just want to give a shout out. It's a happy birthday to uh, Henry Johnson. Bob, you know this name? Henry Johnson. Oh, jeez. Henry Johnson uh, Boulevard in Albany, New York. Uh, I am not. No, please go in, though. Uh, so Henry Johnson was, his nicknames were Black Death and Harlem Terminator. Uh, <laughs> he was a soldier uh, in World War I. Uh, he let's see. He was awarded the Medal of Honor by Barack Obama. Uh, it, people that people that are, live in Albany, Henry Johnson Boulevard is a, is a street in Albany. There's also mm. a, uh, I believe there's a statue of Henry Johnson, but he, uh, 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 yeah, I have. Yeah. To be honest, I don't know why we celebrate him necessarily in Albany, as he's. Uh, uh, I don't know how much time he spent there. <laughs> you know, you know, you just take those things. It's like, uh, how is there not a Mike Tyson? lane oh, at least you know what i mean it, well it, mike tyson uh made things a little confused uh mm. for the upstate region for people that don't know sorry <laughs> we're gonna this we're going a lot of directions today mike tyson in some ways is the pride of upstate new york now to those no of you question. that are pointing out that he's a convicted rapist uh yeah okay right but what what i'm saying is that he was uh an athlete of the highest caliber who identified for a long time with the Hudson Valley to Albany region. He was in Albany yes. all the time. My father would like bump into him in uh, magazine shops and shit like that. Yeah, he would he would come to Albany frequently at the peak of his celebrity. Yes, which again that is people, that is wild for people that live in major cities. That doesn't mean shit. But like Albany, despite being the capital of New York State, is highly podunk in its own way. So yes. like it, it whatever. We just needed something to be. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of, but Mike Tyson fucked it up because he, he he got a bad charge later in life. Now, in a lot yeah. of people's mind, he's he's kind of uh, uh, redeems or he's he's come back. He's, he's gone through himself, it. And he come set out. himself on a path that that yeah. people see as as him looking for redemption, et cetera, whatever. But the point is that uh, 
uh, he was an Albany uh, kind of point of pride for a number of years. Uh, it, for for people, wow, sorry everybody, this is getting into some fucking like dad lore. But the Mike Tyson story is littered with, um, uh, I'm going to be charitable and say like big personalities, yeah, uh, yeah. that surrounded him, uh, and some of those people are still on the scene in places yeah. like Albany. They're the old men that you can run into in Albany who kind yeah. of rightfully or wrongfully had a piece of the action. Uh, and Yeah, they, they got their hands on the plate and nobody's quite sure how or why, but their yes, hands were on yes, the plate. Yes, exactly right. There's a number, there's a number of them that you're kind of like, wait, this guy made $200,000 off of like bumping into Mike Tyson at an OTB. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. How does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Oh, by the way, Henry Johnson did live in Albany, New York. Uh, he just happened to be born uh, in North Carolina and died in Washington, DC. But he, uh, mm. he did, he was a uh, red cap porter at the Albany uh, uh, train station. Fantastic. Yo, shout out to Albany. We can get super local. You can tell Patrick misses his local conversation because <laughs> he went so hard there. Um, Guys, before we get any further in, let's let's give a big shout out and thank you to our sponsors, Death Wish Inc. Oh, uh, bam, Henry Johnson. Closed casket activities. They call them the Black Death. Boom. Check out the uh, that skinhead record. People are loving it. And today's focus is Run for Cover Records. Ooh, Harlem Terminator, hard name. And To Live a Lie. Uh, Albany, New York doesn't have too many points of pride. Mm. To Live a Lie, go to tolivealie.com. You're going to click on that web store. In the spirit of last week's Obsolete Man cassette, which we have now shouted out two, three, four times because it is very good, uh, I am also going to point you at a cassette that came my way. The Delirant, Delirant, Delirant Nerve hmm. band name, Post Collapse Cannibal Fantasy. Wow. Wow. I was pulled in. I was pulled in. Um, this is Grindcore from DC. Features members of Needles and Needle and Iron Cages. Doesn't mean a ton to me, but what I will tell you is this is heavy grind. Mm. That crushing heavy, heavy with the fast. Um, I think somebody who likes the closed casket catalog could just as much really dig this. And it's kind of fun when the heavy and fast genres kind of uh, curve around the sun and meet each other on the other side. That's mm. this. So please go check out the Delirient Nerve post-collapse cannibal fantasy cassette. Uh, if any of that, if you like super fast, if you like the super heavy, especially on the heavy, at least go check out a song and I'm going to tell you to buy that cassette. Okay. To liveali.com. Guys, run for cover records. Go to runforcoverrecords.com. We we are, we've been big up in. They have the new Tony Molina record coming out soon. They have the new Berries, the Berries album, High Flying Man, coming out soon. Shout out to the they, Berries. Yeah, fans. Uh the band Teen Suicide. Teen Suicide is back, guys. Enigmatic songwriter Sam Ray has returned with the announcement of his new album. Honeybee Table at the Butterfly Feast, due on August 26th from Run for Cover Records. Full transparency, this band has never connected for me. That said, a cool song or cool album title and cool album art will at least bring me to the listening station. 
I'm at the listening station for this. You know, we we don't. Sorry, everybody. I'm doing uh, production notes on on air. Uh, we don't do like uh, we don't have promo guests, right? Like we we mm. uh, explicitly maybe you know you could say to our detriment, possibly. Uh, all sure, we we lose out on some good conversations because we're like, yeah, we hate that shit. So, yeah, still number one hardcore podcast, but the we uh, we don't do the uh, press run stuff, right? Uh, and Unless it's if our friends have an album coming out uh, and we know that they can talk and shit, maybe we'll have them on. But sure. the uh, but we should grab some of these dudes that are explicitly indie and j- just sort of jaw with them. You know what I mean? Because I think a yeah. lot of I think a lot of them probably came. Th- I, what I know is I don't know Teen Suicide really, uh, except I think that they're loosely whether they're from uh that western mass area or not i think they are kind of like the beneficiaries of that weird fucking western mass energy that was going on um like uh uh, people i don't know i don't know if people associate this with run for cover but run for cover picked up a few of these bands yeah that were kind of like western mass buzz where these kids, mm. these kids were like dead end. I'm not talking about teen suicide, everybody. No, just fucking bear with me. There was like a lot of like dead end semi drug addict kids in the Western Mass area, whose effect on kind of indie music was bigger than people realize. Weird scene sure. out there, man. And and uh, it's had long legs. Well, uh, and, we and to, to what you're saying too, that energy, because I think there was a lot of that weird kind of energy, even in the spots like Baltimore and mm-hmm. like the mid Atlantic region. I, I think a lot yeah, of that. No, that's, kind of that's actually right. So, uh, good call. Baltimore, uh, Western Mass, and then the place where it coalesced, I guess, or like where everybody went because mm-hmm. it was an urban area where, where, uh, it doesn't feel as isolated as uh, Baltimore can. A lot of people ended up in Philadelphia. Obviously, you do your little. That's right. You do. You do. You do your, your Philly little, internship. Yeah. You do your internship in Baltimore or in uh, Philadelphia, rather. And uh, it would be interesting to talk to one of the indie kids who is uh, like very hardcore adjacent, but not intentionally. I, mm. I find I find those kids fascinating, man. Absolutely, because I think there's a weird world, and Tom, you can speak to this too, where it's like the kid with the sweater who's vaguely into some of the sounds of hardcore, but immediately is like, yo, this vibe ain't me when they hit the show or they go to the wrong show. Like, you know, talk us, uh, uh, an indie leaning hardcore area kid who goes to a show in Baltimore, they end up at a stout show and they're like, Oh, this ain't me. And so then it pushes them in a different direction. Wait, yeah, that makes sense. I got a lot of production notes today, fellas. Mm. But I, <laughs> this I, motherfucker I, gives us an hour and 15 minutes and then is like, here's some uh, random thing about Albany and here's some other stuff I have to talk about. And like, let's talk about the topic for 10 minutes. No, no. I want to. I am cranky. It is fucking 9.50. I had to set an alarm for this goddamn shit. You're <laughs> rushing us off the fucking air. It's Tom. one of your few jobs and you're telling us I'm going to have like a fucking meltdown. Tom, you might you might not have anything to say on this next topic. I just it just occurred. I guarantee you I don't. I got called to the carpet in a green room in in uh, the UK. Okay. Uh, told that I don't know anything about anything. Mm. Because not wrong. Because I maintain that the the uh what do you call the fucking um youth mm. attack sort of the the Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The mysterious guy hardcore scene. For our uh-huh. listeners that do, are going to pretend what the fuck they don't know that what that is, fuck you. The, 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 uh, that whole thing was directly inspired. And when I mean directly inspired, I mean ripping off the first iteration of Fucked Up. 
And I've said that on this podcast because it's an absolute fucking fact beyond conversation. And I was told, no, that's not true. Those bands didn't want to be fucked up. They didn't admire fucked up at all. Hmm. Bob, help me. I don't buy it. <sighs> um, so, so I'm with you. I think it might be. I don't think there's any. Uh, somebody's like no, no. It's it's someone sitting at the table and going, "I'm not going to look at the turkey from that side. I'm not going to look." They're looking in the asshole of the turkey. They're not looking on the side view. You know, <laughs> um, they are saying the wrong thing because it's like some of that might have been a reaction to wave two fucked up and kind of a oh, uh, but to say they weren't influenced or going for what early fucked up were uh, seems off you might be like well the sound was that yes correct like awesome. if you want anything early fucked up's signatures are that their music is they were doing more repetitions of a simple sound so they had longer songs but still pulled off the energy and most of the youth attack or or you know quote unquote mysterious guy weren't able to do that they were doing more of a noisy ripped off straight up 80s hardcore thing that had a heavier noisier feel but like i think those bands at the time would have copped to like yeah fucked up's a pretty big yeah like like we're not taking a fucked up comp as a negative i also i'm i'm looking at i'm no listen i'm looking at the uh, fucked up timeline right now and i was like what years was i living in new york <clears throat> yeah it was the like pol- the police baiting the public, like that like whole early era. shit, yeah. Like that whole era, two oh three, oh four, yeah. And I assure everybody in the sound of my fucking voice that that early loft scene was on this music's dick in the most intense way that you can fucking wrap your head around. Yes. And for people that, that I agree with, for people, yes. uh, Tom, you remember that? Of course, yeah. I mean, I think fucked up brought weirdness to hardcore. Yeah, li- and people don't get at that, that point. It, think about two thousand one. Everyone looked like a fucking diesel model. Uh, it's also, funny. There was two branches that ha- ha- happen post AN, and one is the like hardcore thing with locking out, bringing like this New York hardcore bouncy thing. Two, then maybe th- two, three. Terror kind of had the heavier sound, but that was that was a little earlier. That almost ran concurrent with AN, and then fucked up. They they were right there and doing a very different thing in a different world, but were so they were magnetic and became a very cool thing right away and i don't say that in a negative way like i i love that band and likely might go see them tonight so it, it, it's also like let's not forget that this is the this band was edgy in the way that people make fun of now they had a member called named concentration camp you know, you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it like they got for people that don't remember this and i guarantee a lot of our listeners don't this is a band that got in trouble i'm using fucking uh, air quotes. quotes got in trouble for quoting a nazi affiliated guy in some of their fucking uh uh like arcane magic you know fucking whatever bullshit and like yo this band was the prototypical fucking uh uh mysterious guy act like kind of on the fridge of edgy but you also know that they're not actually sketchy there's some tongue-in-cheek nature to it yes correct yes 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 Yes, exactly a lot of that was it was it was understood that it was 
half act. You know yes. what I mean? Like, yes. And pe- and that yeah. was part of the people loved that, by the way, everyone. Yes. And, yo, uh, both of the gentlemen on this podcast will confirm that Hidden World was like – there was such an electric energy around the release of that record and the people mm-hmm. that were championing it forever was that like the very beginning of that mysterious guy scene. That's who it was. That's who was putting all of the gas behind fucked up before fucked up got like taken under the wing of like vice and spin and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, whatever. I just, I got so irritated because people know I don't like that mysterious guy shit. So they think I don't know anything about it. And it's like, yo, yeah, yeah. I just happened to be there. I don't like it, but like, but like let's not, well, do- you got, you got some friends in that world too. You know, like we're not going to shout names, but you got some friends and people, you know, who were in some of those early versions of bands. And then you were adjacent to a whole world of it too. So, I mean, yeah, I, I Look, a lot of that stuff was good. Uh, none of that has anything to do with Run For Cover Records. So go to runforcoverrecords.com, check out all their new records. Thank you. Um, and yeah, no, that's it's a, a, I'm curious at who we'll have to go off air so you can really air them it, out. Uh, uh, it was a knowledgeable person uh, that is a friend of this podcast who also just has like a bizarre bias where they don't mm. uh, want to recognize that. Uh, I guess they think that mysterious guy is like, it's somebody who really respects fucked up and Mm -hmm. uh, sees uh, whatever. They just got like, let me put it like this. They got a uh, 29 year old person's lens. Mm, mm. Uh, Shout out to them. Shout out to everybody. Most importantly, how you doing? How you feeling? What's going on guys? Um, Good. Like I said, woke up from a nap, not, not feeling it. I got another production note when we're, when uh, we're ready. Tom, you are up. It is early. Thank you for joining us. How was your week other than 70 hours of work? Um, didn't, didn't really exist other than, other than that. <laughs> um, Watched the Met games. That's about it. Are, how are the Mets doing right now? Are they back on track? Things get yes. kind of loose there. Okay, okay. They're good. still in first place. They beat the Braves two out of three. Wait. We're doing all right. Nice. I love to hear that. Go Mets. LGM. Uh, let's go axe the grind guys. We got kind of some loose conversation pieces today. Um, this is a, we're going to pull the, the curtain back. I, I was trying to think of how to say this. There's, there's those episodes where we go in super loose and do a chatter. Then there's episodes where we have like a defined, like this is what we're talking about today. Then there's episodes where it's like, Hey, let's kind of talk about this. And you know, and we, we have fun with all those versions. This is mostly going to be a, Let's see where this leads, and here's the loose topic. We, we pre-proed for about four seconds before the episode started. But it's hopefully going to lead to a larger idea and concept to play with later. We are about to embark on our trip to California. We'll be out there for Sound and Fury. Uh, Axe Grind is performing live for the very first time um, on Thursday, July 28th at Brain Dead Studios. Mm. Some tickets are still available. I believe if you have the God Mode Sound and Fury Pass, you can get in there. One of the cool things is if you're going for the weekend, you can show up at our show and pick up your pass. So you don't have to deal with lines. You don't have to deal with anything from there out. Just grab it, hang out, have a drink, do whatever. Enjoy a live podcast recording. That said, we're going to California, and that gets it in my head. California is a big state, guys. A lot of lot of people, a lot of stuff, a lot of, lot of punk and hardcore and metal and all kinds of music. 
I think there's some stuff that gets a lot of chat. But in 2022, I think a lot of stuff gets lost, too. You guys agree with that? Definitely. 100%. So I was thinking we'd kind of like bring some concepts. I almost, had I had the wherewithal bandwidth and, and mood time and interest to do it, I would have really put together a list. But I was like, man, what's the list? Is it 20 things? Is it 30 things? 30 pieces of California hardcore that don't get enough conversation or talk at all. And listicles, we'll do a listicle. Correct. We're going to go full BuzzFeed here, but I, I wanted to treat it like the cat, the old cat. I was talking to a friend who had an old cat, and like the cat is like lives outside, sort of lives in the garages of like farm cat, uh, super old. And sometimes, like, man, is this cat going to make it? But every couple months, the cat shows up with a mouse and drops it at their feet. And it's like, see, it's like it's the cat trying to show its utility, right? Mm. So consider me, the cat, coming and dropping a thing to you. But also, please please bring some, some mice to the table here as well. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's, if, if we got nothing on it, we got nothing on it, you know? So we'll kind of talk about it and suss through and see what we have to say on some of these items. Would you guys like me to start the parade or does one of you have a California Cali shit that doesn't get enough attention? I got one. I got a few. Yeah. You, take us off with one. I was talking about what the, the, the bag check guy. <laughs> whatever the fuck put some respect, on, put some respect on his name. Henry Johnson, Harlem death dealer, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Black death. Right. Wasn't he black death? Black death yes. I have a few. They're all over the map. So I will start with one that with Bob them. will definitely agree with. I don't know if Pat will. Mm. A band that was that, at least on to my East Coast lens, is is uh, a bit lost to time. Even though they were an incredible, incredible band, mm-hmm. Redemption eighty seven. Ooh, pulling on my heartstrings, Patrick. Does this band mean anything to you? Uh, not a thing except that they, uh, it, when I lived in New York, I want to say that the, uh, generation, Re- generation records, uh, had, uh, this in the used bin at all times. Yes. This, this had some promo cuts on that. Um, yo, so Redemption 87, mid nineties, uh, straightforward, fast ripping hardcore from the Bay area. Yeah. Eric Ozine, who was the original singer of unit pride. Uh, came back and sang in this band who sounded like a weird, like... Like sort of like Antidote? Yeah, well, yo, like like the East Bay version of Antidote meets Youth of Today. Like, like, uh, yeah. like Bay Area... Bay Area tinge, like a, a glimmer on top of what we would recognize as like fast New York East Coast-ish hardcore. And this is Timmy awesome. Chunks too, right? Timmy Chunks, that's right. Thank you. Yes, Timmy Chunks is in there. So, like, yeah. Tom, this had like the punk energy, but also was clearly hardcore. And at a time, and I think it, the LP came out on New Age. The at the time, these records were kind of like if it was a hardcore band coming from California, I was imagining Strife, Unbroken, you know, uh, outspoken, right. not a band you can compare to antidote or youth of today. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, were you old enough when they, when they did that, like 
Jersey, I missed those shows. shows. I was I, they played. Uh, I think they played Jersey. Berkeley? They played Maryland, and they played. Yeah, uh, not Berkeley Heights. Berkeley it was Heights. No. Summit. I don't think it was Berkeley Heights. It was, but it was in that area. Um, and then they played Virginia Beach. They played like three but, East Coast shows. That makes sense. But I mean, I think. Oh yeah, because Blade Crash has played the Virginia Beach one. Um, I think. The, the, but like the energy for that show was so palpable. Like people were so fucking stoked that they were coming here. Yeah. That's, like I remember that's, like coming from Brooklyn, that place in Jersey, like you could have been, you could have been flying me to Europe for as far, as far as it felt. <laughs> and I think like just us, we made like a road trip out of it. I think Sansone went, a few of us went and like, yeah. it, but like there was hundreds of kids, but like just the energy around that band at that point, when that first record came out, it's not what the, the it's, um, the second record old guns full side. It's self-titled redemption. Seven self-titled. I think that's right. Um, they do the antidote cover at the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. These, so, but these records are, I think all guns poolside is coming back into print because of uh, blackout. That's right. But the first record, which was incredible. Yep. Is out of print? Yeah. Um, that show is in new Providence, which is, uh, there's that's, <clears throat> For the late '90s, if you're into the late '90s straight edge stuff, um, this show is one of those shows. This is one of the like, damn! It was uh, Redemption '87, In My Eyes, Uprise, Blade Crasher, Ensign, Rain on the Parade. Um, Did Weapon X play that? Likely, yeah. That sounds right. That was uh, that sounds Nate's, like, of, like straight edge band. Yeah. Yep, like uh, the Ensign side project, Project X vibe kind of thing. Yeah. Whether people want to acknowledge it or not, that was like one of those like, oh shit, you have that record. Oh, I want that yeah. so bad. Um, Redemption Eighty Seven was a band that was awesome. They did reunions, Tom, in like two thousand four. I want to say they played uh, the Pound and they played Gilman. I I didn't get tickets to go. I didn't get. Uh, I, I didn't get into Gilman. I didn't get tickets for that, but I got tickets for the Pound. And it was oh, one of my favorite nice. shows. Oh my god, it was so awesome! They were great. Um, this is for anybody who's not familiar. Uh, Eric's got this real gnarly, growly voice that pitches and screeches, um, and and he he's certainly going for a little bit Ray Capo on Redemption Seven, you could say, but it's not it's not a ripoff. It's just like oh, you, you've got this kind of voice, and it's it works. Um, I think this is one of my like low key low key this is in my like top 20 records of the 90s i love it one thing i didn't i didn't remember i so for our younger folks that might be um eric went on to the nerve agents yep they were on rev and they did then a tour they and like hellcat yep hellcat like they were yeah so they did some shit and then i didn't realize i guess at the time i didn't care and then once i started to care i didn't go back and look but that jade from afi played guitar that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, isn't it wild? Yeah, these records—if you can find them—they're both of them are fucking fantastic. Yeah. So, big fan. Um, great pull. All right, I've got one for you guys. It's not a band. It is Mystic Records. Mm. What do you guys know about Mystic Records? Uh, let's see. And I'll, I'll let me pull back and give you what I know. It's a punk record label from California that put out some notable stuff, but also put out so many records that I, as a dork, have no idea how to catalog it. Like, I have no idea. 
like there's no explanation to me. There, I don't know if there's a discography of all the Mystic records out there. Yeah, um, well, okay. which is wild. Well, but talk about what are that the stuff that's not completely lost. So, what, okay. what suicidal, are, right? What our listeners would be yes like super familiar with because so no effects. They they did some early no effects records. That was a big thing. They did the Battalion of Saints record. Um, you know they've done they did the aggression record. Um, they did an ill repute seven inch. Yeah, right. Ill repute. Um, scared straight. Yeah. Uh, which became ten foot pole basically. Um, Stalag thirteen. That's they did some Nardcore stuff. They did um, what is it? Uh, they did some oh, comps did say, that did, were big. Did you say RKL? Because nope, they they did RKL. They did R- yep. Early RKL. Yep. Um, they did the White Pig seven inch. White Pigs are a band from uh, um, Connecticut, which is so this the White Pig seven inch is awesome. Like really good record. I don't know if they did the initial pressing of it, but they did the 89 pressing like fast early 80s style hardcore um <laughs> okay so hold on i'm trying I'm, I'm going through the records that i know uh, nope. the, the doctor no record right yep uh mm-hmm. the uh I, and everybody i would not know that, that this was a mystic records record except that it came up on axe to grind somewhat recently the doggy style record <laughs> Yep, the first. So the doggy style seven inch, which is pretty good. Like it's honestly pretty good. <laughs> so the stuff that I think that uh, I think ill repute work Dr. is no, one. Yeah, I don't know if Doctor No is a. Re- I, I don't know if that record uh, is, is the the, the <clears throat> one with the kind of iconic cover. If that was. Yep. Uh, uh, let's see. No, Wait, the LP, do- the uh, Doctor No, they did the Doctor No Burn seven inch. I think the LP. Yes, is right. uh, is right. different. Yeah, the, the, is is like uh, um, their own label kind of thing. Right. Plug in Jesus, yeah, Plug in Jesus is on Ghetto Way Records, um, but the seven inch came earlier, and they did they actually did I think two seven inches for Doctor No. Um, they did a government issue seven inch. Give us stab or give us death. Like if you go through the way to do this, the I'll repeat seven inch is so good. Go through the Mystic Discogs. There's so the Battalion of Saints stuff. Yeah, there's so much. They did that ill repute. What happens next album? There's so much, and some of it it's like, wait, what is this? Um, because they just put out a massive amount of records for a long time. They did a couple mentors records. <laughs> Fuck, is this the mentors record? No. Uh, this Pat, can not- you explain the mentors? <sighs> Not without getting in trouble. Tom, can you explain the mentors? No, well, Duce was involved, and he might have been. He might have helped uh, Courtney Love kill uh, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> I knew that much. Allegedly, Tom. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly right? Let's, um, Let's indemnify uh, ourselves here. Uh, somewhere between um, the dwarves and Gigi Allen, you find the mentors. Um, yeah, musically and- pretty palatable. Uh, lyrically. Maybe not. That's something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody, don't look into what they used to call themselves, like what kind, what genre of music they used to call themselves. Um, no, no. If you just want to check out their 1994 uh, record, Houses of the Horny, uh, that might help you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Mystic Records. Uh, I wonder if they had, if it was just the like kind of Nardcore bands that had uh, the Hernandez brothers on. Uh, oh, uh, uh, that's Stalag. Is that Ill Repute or Stalag? 
Uh, ill repute definitely. Doctor yeah. No also the what is the yep. what is the Doctor No record the one with the uh, it's plug in Jesus. That's that's with the with the woman on it. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Oh uh, yeah yeah the like uh, kind of come hither woman. Um, yeah yeah yeah. Hold on. <clears throat> so Let me look real quick. That one is a sorry everybody. This, we're getting nerdy. So so for people that don't know, I don't which which Hernandez even did this. Jaime. Well, uh, anyway, yeah, it was everybody. Jaime. There there is. Uh, there's two, actually three. Not everybody knows that. Three brothers, uh, uh, last name Hernandez, who uh, kind of tie comics and punk uh, mm-hmm. together in this way that is uh, not not corny and not self-referential and mm-hmm. totally organic. Uh, you would recognize their art. Uh, uh, so you know, Ismail I, was the was in Doctor No, and Jaime did the art. Right so, there, you go. Thank you. Yeah. So, so um, just look into what I'm talking about. The Hernandez brothers. I always confuse them. Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets is the big one, but I I love yep. Palomar. I, for everybody that is only even a little bit into comics, Palomar is about. It's like this sprawling kind of slow paced epic uh, about like a small Mexican town. And it is mm. uh, just a great, t- tiny little stories playing out about people's lives. Uh, beautiful. I, but uh, everybody, I fuck up the Hernandez brothers. Which one is which? No disrespect to them. Uh, but uh, they they came from that scene, though I don't know how into it they were after like the year, I don't know, fucking 1989. Like, like you know? 80, yeah, late 80s. Right, right, right. <laughs> so like, I don't know if they, if it was just like their friends asked them, hey, you guys can draw. Can you do this? I, I don't know. But like they have this place in, in kind of music history that's just fascinating because they made a, they had a regional look to those records. And it's it's cool. It's very cool, actually. It's really cool. Um, yeah. Uh, so Mystic Records, the reason I bring this up it is a weird label. It was run by a guy named Doug Moody. I don't know him. He uh, he was an older guy who's working in stuff in the 60s and 70s and then ended up opening a studio. A bunch of the stuff was recorded at the studio that they owned, and they kind of ran this punk label. And I'm not going to get deep in it because I will get it wrong or get it not right in a way that I don't want to. It's not what I'm here to do is to give false information. But the way Mystic was run was more akin to a label pre-1970. Like, oh, come record here and then we'll press the records. Here you go. You know, and like you can get some copies and then we'll sell copies. And, you know, that pays for the recording and da, da, da. But it was like that you know, hey, you go into the record, record studio and you record and we press the records and that's it. it um, really interesting and weird. Kind of that mercury in your hand effect where you can't even, like, go to Discogs, click on Mystic Records, look through. There's very, this is the most comprehensive way to see it. I, I can't even, t- I don't think this has a full and and they're even showing here ghetto way records is a sub label nardcore records super seven was a part of mystic so you can see a lot of stuff there like there's just so much a lot of it is crap but a lot of it is good and a lot of it is california stuff so that's kind of the thing that i want people to understand is there's this just whole world of punk records that were 
from from really good to kind of crap that this label kind of gave a gave a platform to. Um, so it's kind of cool. So uh, yeah, shout out to Mystic Records. Truly, some California shit. If you if you look at a vinyl record store that has punk records and has seven inch EPs, you will find a Super Seven seven inch. No question. Mystic Records. All right, Patrick, do you got any California stuff you want to highlight? Uh, I just want to. I just. I just went. Did down, you fall down the hole? I just went down a Doug Moody Productions hole. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact: Doug Moody is uh, known for helping launch the Beatles in the U.S. How about that? Also, Doctor No. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, plug in Jesus LP. Yeah, right. <laughs> So uh, is there anything I want to add? Okay, I'm going to make it a little bit more uh, uh, current, but I'm going to need yeah, you bring to us up. if I'm wrong. Uh, so tell me if this is the same scene. Uh, was Snake Eyes and Internal Affairs, was that like all like of a piece? Was that all the same era? Was that like – there was this moment that California – was kind of penetrating the East Coast because the the hype was there, you know what I mean? So that e- even the uh, e- e- even the kind of um, no disrespect to Snake Eyes, but like even the stuff that kind of wasn't at all full time was still making our radar. Does that does so internal affairs? Internal affairs predates Snake Eyes by quite a bit. Internal okay. affairs is um, starts like oh. 203 I want to say I want to say 03 but um Snake Eyes was essentially not quite a side project but but had a very, few of the same very part, members very part-time Todd yeah right? yeah yeah so it's, yeah Internal Affairs demo was 2003 so um but we can talk about one or both those bands you pick buddy uh well let's start with Internal Affairs the again no disrespect the more important band here so let's let's go with them Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Tom, Internal Affairs, Corey Williams, uh, were were fans of his. Yep, and yes, fans of yes. Um, Corey had come out of Carry On. Carry On uh, was the. Is it fair to say the torchbearer California hardcore band for a minute? For that, yeah, for for like for hardcore. Yes. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Because yep. um, there's a whole they, other thing going on there, but they were like legit. Hardcore. Yeah, yeah, they were like, the hardcore, unquestionably band. hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, and and falling out of that, I think um, as Carry On breaks up, uh, there was sort of a gap, and it was kind of there was terror, and that was something else. But I think um, you know terror was huge. Some of those dudes, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and Todd goes and does terror, and, and you know Corey's there, but Corey went and started Internal Affairs because he wanted to do a fast hardcore band um, that was decidedly like an LA California hardcore band. And, um, I think it's fair. Like terror came right after carry on and we're immediately the most popular hardcore band from California. 
and more importantly, like terror was kind of an everywhere band, like immediately. Is that fair to say? Like, like they were very that demo had Southern better, California. yeah, that, that demo, demo had better distribution than most records. No question, and they immediately went out and worked and pushed and toured and did everything on it right away, right away. Internal Affairs. So with that said about Terror, following Carry On, Internal Affairs became the torchbearer for Southern California hardcore of that ilk. Full stop. Um, Played shows, booked shows, was the band people would come... When they were on tour, they would play with Internal Affairs because Internal Affairs would make sure the show popped off. Um, had a solid following from the very start and kept it until their end. You know, like they were a band from 03 till I want to say roughly 2009 ish, somewhere in that range. Right. Uh, maybe even a little after. But, um, but yeah, no, that was, they were the Southern California band. Um, and they, you know, I think there was an idea of we want to be heavy, we want to be moshy, we want to have mosh parts, but we also want to be fast enough. We don't want to just be, you know, a pure mosh band. We want to be a hardcore band. Um, so it was kind of interesting because they could play, they could play with faster hardcore bands, they could play with the straightforward hardcore bands because they were that, but they could also play with the heavier bands. And there was kind of something there and you saw that you saw that in the way it played out and i think they ended up being we talk about these um we talk about gateway bands in the way like the entry level like oh this is a band who got a lot of kids to hardcore we almost need a place for bands who are a gateway between styles and who introduce them like somebody who's already into heavier stuff then they see internal affairs and like, oh, that that band's really cool. What else is out there that's kind of like that? Because they were sort of that yeah. crossover thing, and I think that is one of the things that doesn't get talked about with with a band like Internal Affairs. No, because people don't want to admit that they didn't come out of the womb in an AF shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, correct. So it's hard to be like, yeah, I was in the fucking you know swoopy hair, and then like. My friend brought me to an internal affairs show and changed my life and got me into hardcore. Like no one wants to admit that they want to be like my first show. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I I'd heard the United Blood Seven Inch and then I decided to check out what was going on currently. You know, um, <laughs> and they also just to uh, put that out there. Uh, they just did a, internal affairs. Just did a discography this year. Oh yeah, they did on Safe Inside Records uh, called No Way Out. Yeah, I think it's still out there. It's got there um, is. There is. Split with Allegiance, Casualty of the Core, the uh, 2003 demo, self-titled record, Deadly v- It's got everything. Uh, yeah. No Turning Back, Split, um, Evil Egyptians, and then live stuff from Posse Numbers 2004. And Patrick, you were East Coast bound. This was a band who I think they made some impact and played to the East Coast audience and f- made certainly had friends. And like you know, I think they were particularly tight with the Richmond scene. Uh, and some of the New York guys, but it's hard to explain how important they were to people in Southern California. Like this was a, we own this band. I don't know that it ever penetrated the East coast in that way, but certainly it, it got there, you know? No, but I mean, so, there were only so certain bands that made that. Right. Oh, I mean, few and far between Our country. Like, yeah. And, and I guess, so I, I didn't realize, I guess maybe what I was saying, but didn't realize I was saying, I just went to the Snake Eyes Discogs thing I've never done in my life, and uh-huh. uh, yo, this is 
this is like internal affairs with Todd. Is that right? This is like yeah. Uh, this, so this is I didn't Todd know. Did, Todd did a few minutes in internal affairs, but like I'd largely say like internal affairs was not not his thing. Like it was it was Corey's thing, and Corey did most of the music, and I think. There was a lot of different players. Corey and Dennis were there from start to finish, and I think there was a lot of people who flowed in and out. But you know, there was a couple other key players. Uh, Snake Eyes was Todd. Todd's writing stuff, so people who are not familiar, um, Snake Eyes was hardcore band that featured Todd Jones from Carry On and Terror and Betrayed and such. Um, and Corey was also all played guitar. I think Greg Bacon, who was in um, Stand and Fight, as well as was in Betrayed. Um, and internal affairs for a long time, um, and knife fight actually. So oh, knife fight! How, okay, listen, listen, listen. Now, knife fights, knife fights, my shit. You want to talk yeah, about okay. that? Now, I really like that. Now we're going in all sorts of directions. T- uh, tell me about two bands that okay. I think are all tied in. Tell okay. me about knife fight, and tell me okay. about piece by piece. Okay, all right. L- let me let me finish. Snake <laughs> Eyes was later. They're like two thousand five, six, seven. Um, basically uh, a project for Bo Thompson who had sang, he was one of the two singers in Donnybrook, uh, but Bo wanted to do more of a straightforward band, a little less heavy, a little faster. Um, And that's, uh, they did a demo and a seven inch, both very good. Didn't play a ton of shows. um, And if you got to see them, you probably are in a small minority. They were really good. They were, and if you've never heard it, if you like any of Todd's faster, hardcore stuff, you probably would like this. Um, okay, and you asked about knife fight and piece by piece. Wow. So here's how we'll explain that. Look at internal affairs as the the middle point, the the flag post, okay? To the left you have knife fight, to the right you have piece by piece. Let's talk about knife fight. <clears throat> knife fight starts earlier. Um knife fight starts as um life salt breaks up, which uh John Westbrook, who sang in Night Fight, was in Carry On. Um, also did, I think, a little bit of time in uh, in in Life's Hall as well. Um, I think he certainly played with them, if not uh, toured. I'm not sure that he's on any recordings, but he sure, certainly was in both. Um, was he in? Man, I, he was. He did some time in No Reply. So if John, if you weren't in Life's Halt, my 20 year memory is gone. I apologize. Uh, they were faster. They were like punk hardcore starts in 2002, do three, seven inches and then a 12 inch. For my money, some of the best fast hardcore of that era. Mm. Um, fully in the like, Man, I, how do I explain this in a way that's that's not just like gushing? It was early '80s U.S. hardcore that was so aware of UK punk and hardcore that they were able to pull off a sound that I think pulled in elements of negative approach, uh, final conflict, um, discharge, and just had an overall like. It never got to street punk ever. It was always clearly hardcore, but they were just able to navigate that. And I think if you hear the demo in the first seven inch, um, it's super fast and aggressive. I think the demo has a couple of really great mosh parts. The Burning Bridges EP, I think they uh, get a little, slow it down a little bit and change it up. And I think you get some more like 
tied down style energy, um, negative approach LP style. And then I, I think by the crisis 12 inch, it, it speeds up and you get a little bit more discharging. Um, and I just think it's, it's all really good. Um, this is a band who put out records on my war, put out records on painkiller and put out uh, the 12 inch came out on lengua armada. That's pretty good. Um, so, so that's one of the other things that came on the, um, you know, in the California mythos, there's a life's halt carry on thing where those two bands played together and then it split and it kind of split a scene in a weird way. Knife fight was the band who was certainly right in between those two scenes. Now for something I can't speak nearly as deeply on, but piece by piece, uh, on the other side of internal affairs, on the more moshy, more fuck it level, um, this is Nick Jet singing. He he was in the the last version of Carry On. He was was and is still a member of Terror. This was his fast band, um, who by all by all admissions is so tight and was really aggressive live. Their live shows in Southern California at the time were wild. Just wild. People would go nuts for this band. Um, I was. It was never my thing, totally. But they were really good live, and like the band that you would, they'd start playing, and it looked. You looked at people's faces, and they just lost consciousness. Like it was just they were in the song now, and they were going to hit you, and that was it. You know. Uh, to we're talking about a lot of bands that I haven't seen at this point. So, so this this is uh, interesting to me because these were all names and mm. and records, but not things that I ever anticipated seeing. Really, you know what I mean? So uh, piece got, by piece of the band who I think honestly in 2022 could really play like like if if they if they were a band who came out in 2022 people would be like yo this damn whether that's you know somebody who loves um knocked loose or somebody who loves gridiron or somebody who loves you know even some of the more faster heavy hard stuff you know um pain of truth like i think any anybody who likes those bands could really vibe on piece by piece Mm. whereas with knife fight uh if you like electric chair, if you like uh, any of the beach impediment stuff, if you like stigmatism, if you like any of the 11 p.m. or unlawful assembly stuff, uh, and you aren't familiar with Knife Fight, you really should check that out. Mm. Uh, okay, I've got a, I've got a real wild card, but uh, let's go in order. Let's let's keep uh, moving it around. Tom, Tom, kick us, kick us with something interesting. Jeez, Cali shit. Dad, would you tell me about? No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> let's see. I got so. Should I just name them and you can pick a few that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. All right. So the ones I have left on my list I got Killing the Dream, Over My Dead Body, Some Girls, mm. Ignite, which was a thing. Yeah. Yafet Koto. Wow. And all. We consider an all a Cali band. We can consider, I mean, they have songs about taco places in California. We can get yeah. California. Yeah. Um, all right, Patrick. What's, yeah. Patrick, you pick. Where are we going? Killing the Dream. Yafit. Yafit Koda. Wow. And so, I how feel like this do- was a thing. Yep. <laughs> yes. But this- because, twofold, on my experience, 
this really wasn't like I wasn't an abolition kid. Yep. Yes. And I dug this. <laughs> and they were from Cali. And it was on my like dumb New York hardcore radar. <laughs> right. So, so it says a lot. Yeah. You you identified something. You weren't an abolition kid. Abolition. How, can one of you explain what abolition is? Uh, I think one of you guys described it uh, perfectly on a former episode, but a previous episode. But uh, uh, okay. So imagine uh, uh, kind of like hardline gatekeeping hardcore heads that don't actually care about the sound. And what I mean is like, it's ideology first, not super specific ideology, just like it has to be small. Just not yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever our ideology is not yours. Yeah. Whatever yours is, it's, we don't do that. It's it's just kind of, um, oh, you know what? I it, it Maybe post-MRR sort of energy where sure. it, it's uh, – it's gatekeepery and it's uh, it's kind of dick, um, certainly uh, elitist. But in this, talk about heart attack zine, same same people. Yeah, same people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but different in a different way. You know, like in, firstly in kind of a more straight edge adjacent way. Firstly, and uh, secondly, like uh, you could see them really enjoying Inside Out more than the. <laughs> <laughs> than MRR. Kim Yohannan? Yeah, sure. Yeah, does that make sense? Kim McCord. Am I painting? I have the title. Yeah. Kim McCord loves Inside Out. That's, <laughs> right. that's, that's, so, am I painting? Not a picture, so much. A picture here where it's kind of like clean cut hardcore kids, sort of, but snobby, but not snobby about the music. <laughs> it's really weird. But they, they. To were, me, this is like Youth Attack adjacent. Uh, no. So. <sighs> As a dude who liked Marauder? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. This is all the same to me. Yeah. Okay. So Abolition, firstly, Bob- When I was a kid. Bob's going to point out that they uh, had and maybe still have uh, one of the strongest demos or one of the strongest uh, uh, distros Distros. for- for, uh, Punk stuff. uh, Kind of like fly under the radar 500 press hardcore. Uh, that uh, hardcore that's more on the political leaning, on the noisier side, uh, emotional side. Like they, they became. Um, if you were putting out a record and you were avoiding using block fonts or varsity fonts on it, you would probably go to Ebullition first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would try to get it there at least. Um, so uh, I like. There's a period of Ebullition that I actually really, I actually really like a lot, um, and that is. Kind of that uh, uh, when they went w- when it became emotional hard like I'm trying to figure out what years these would be um, they went screamo before a lot yes. of people, a lot of labels went screamo uh, so for everybody that doesn't know they put out hardcore they put out like you know struggle and shit like that but they but they put out uh, down set or downcast yeah. downcast right. Uh, uh, and Yafet Koto, but, but they, uh, they put out the orchid record, uh, and mm-hmm. they also, the ones that I liked was that there was a period later. Oh God, they put out the Julia record. Holy fuck. That's a Tom. You've seen the Julia record literally te- in your life. I would guess 500 times minimum because 
it was a generation records staple. Like you've yes. been unavoidable. Yeah. The Julia record. <laughs> anyway, Absolutely. um, bread and circuits, uh, which we got to talk about that whole scene, uh, fuel, like fuel. Holy shit. We got to talk about that. Uh, but what was the fucking, um, I'm going to have to think about this. There was, they went with this kind of poorly sung melodic hardcore with screamo leanings and nobody else to my eye was doing it at that time. And some of it was really great. Yeah. Abolition thing is like, this is stuff that I want to talk about because California Tom, great list by the way, because I want to touch on a couple Yavet Kodo. Um, Jeez, uh, a couple twelve inches, kind of screamo, but hardcore. But it is like, yo, yeah, three full lengths, all on ebullition, um, heavy, kind of chaotic, but in that like emotional, crazy way, for lack of a better way. Like this felt unhinged. It felt very, it was super aggressive and could certainly play in the screamo or emo or basement scene, but calling it anything but hardcore is inaccurate. You know what I mean? Sure. Like this was a hardcore band. Um, I think this band's actually due for a revisit for me. I, I haven't listened to this in so long. Um, the Killers and, did, and the Government Blankets is a fucking record, man. Dude, that's the record I heard. I think I heard it when, I, when it came out, and I didn't really – I haven't gone back to it, so I really want to give it time because – uh, one of the members of this band is somebody who I'm buddies with and like uh, went on to do the band Look Back and Laugh, who I loved. Right. I thought was an awesome band. That's another band who could belong on this list. Sure. Uh, All those Because they did Never really healed. well. Never Healed. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff in here um, that deserves attention. So Yafet Koto. Which, Abolition oh. as a scene. Like I wish people could understand they had – it wasn't – it wasn't like the hardcore quote unquote kid. It wasn't the new age kid at the time. It wasn't a rev kid. It was, but they also weren't crust punks. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, so Bob, that's, that's the part that's difficult to describe to somebody because they looked more like new age kids. You know what I mean? Like the, the it, 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 this was not, this was punk punk, but not, it didn't sound like it and it didn't look like it. And when we say <laughs> new age, we don't mean like Enya. We mean like new age records. Correct. Yes. Yes. Just to be clear. But also, do you think like Bob? <laughs> yeah. Because we're saying like new age, like it's like fucking normal language. No, I know. Do you think Abolition has no real legacy? For all the stuff that Yo. they put out that was awesome. Like they, like, they don't the have legacy? like, like where's the reissue? Where's the still in print? Where's the, you know what I mean? Like where's the, where's the, where's the, where's the resurgent scene? Who's like, Buying up abolition shirts and I like, mean, dude, like no, when we no were kids, of that. Mm-hmm. you know, it was legit. Like, you know, you were a rev or victory guy for yep. the most part. Yep. Or you were a fucking abolition guy. A lot yep. of it. A lot yeah. of you it. Were, like, if you were in the hardcore kid genre, yes, that was your choices. Now, if you were outside of that genre, maybe you're a fucking spiky punk or a skinhead or a crust punk or blah blah blah. But in the or hardcore, right? Yeah. But in the hardcore kid genre, you're right. Or and, and then maybe you fall for, but even even in that, you you know, like, uh, yeah, this was you're you're hundred percent right because because other shit like oh you're more into the like if you liked 
stuff that was the other side of Fury of Five or the like back to basic scene, you broadly fit in the victory world. If you liked the late 80s straight edge world, you were a rev kid. Right. But then there was the other thing, which was the other, the legacy the of, Ab- yeah, the, the, well, yeah, the, the legacy of the abolition thing, I think was that it's it's basis was being non-brand right so kudos to them they achieved that however that severely limits influence which is the funny game that you have to play like okay you don't want to be this like mimicking mainstream corporate commercial mentality yo abolition fucking did that their website's the same as it's been since like 2004 if you go look at it, it's crazy. <laughs> they have been the true. Yo, you want to hear something crazy? Even more so than Discord, faithful to their initial intent and unwilling and unbending in that commitment to be anti-commercial. Which is that? That's, that's a fucking mouthful. Yes. That said, it means. You know what abolition's legacy should be? Yo, Abolition is the the entity that launched Stadium Crust. Tragedy Records doesn't exist without Abolition. Period. End of story. Yeah. Um, all of that world. Think about like, Rams, Screamo of the nineties nope. that became doesn't exist without Abolition. Yeah, uh, actually, nope. so- but it doesn't get name checked the way shit like New Age. Like, yo, Abolition was one thousand percent more influential than New Age Records. Period. Full stop. However. It never gets name checked because it was intentionally backdropped, shadowed. No, no, no. Yeah. We don't want this to be about us, which is a wild thing to say. And I think not, about like when we that's talk not about exist like, a new age. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry. No, like when we talk about like comps and stuff, like evolution had that like ideas of poisonous, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That was like everywhere. That was like everywhere. a big fucking deal. Everywhere. Yeah. Just never brought up again. Having like no big bands on it. No. No. Right, like I think Endeavor probably might have been the biggest band on it to us. Like, oh, that's right. Was that's right. It, 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 that was crazy. By the way, uh, it, it, the Chaos is Me, the Orchid record, mm-hmm. cannot be overstated how important this record was and likely is to that screamo scene that kind of like that honestly we could bring fucking jeremy on this and he would tell you that this is in the touche dna in a very strong way despite the fact that maybe hardcore orchid heads would never make that fucking connection but like it 100 is 100 like like undeniably so this is a this is a like important band. I don't even like to say, even though I got friends from this band, I, 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 I don't like this record very much. So I, I'm always like kind of low key shitting on it, but like, it's a uh, truly important. Like it's, and this, the, I would, so Bob, you said something interesting, like in terms of a legacy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if anybody says that this is one of the most important screamo labels of all time, but it, I'm looking at the output. It is. <laughs> it yes. definitely fucking is. And so, and so what because abolition so abolition was a label, it was a distribution that was at the time the if not the singular biggest, tied for the biggest punk distribution in the world. Um and did heart attack, which was right. again in every independent record store. Yep, yep, right there next to MRR, right below it, 
but as big as anything cents. else. Oh, just just newspaper everywhere. Print. Newspaper yeah. print packed. If you, I would read that back to back, like front to back, and it was a lot. At the, the same time, yeah. and, and and sometimes it was like uh, I'm not gonna lie, some of the writers a little bit of a drag, but there was so much in there, and and that's not. I'm gonna step it back. Evolution is responsible for why the tragedy record was everywhere. Evolution's responsible for that whole scene of stuff getting out and about. Um, the th- low key, they were the distribu- distributor for all the like 2000s era thrash stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. they were the wheel behind punk in a lot of ways, and it never gets talked about. Um, and they ran it the right way, run it the right way, by their way, by their means. Whether you agree or think that it's too much or too little, blah blah blah. Yo, uh, major respect to them. Major respect to Yafet Kodo. Um, but when yes. you look at their discography, it's like, oh yeah, oh shit, they did put out the Los Crudos Spit Boy split. That's a big deal. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of stuff I don't care about at all. But it's wild how little it gets name checked. But I think that was their intent. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I would love to hear Will to live a lies take on this because I feel like oh, yeah. he's based. I feel like there's a common thread to some DNA there. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm, what were you gonna say, PK? I'm uh, uh, speculate with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the, I'm looking at this Orchid record on Discogs. Uh, it, firstly, it was out of uh, it was out of press for a long time. Uh, yes, t- t- 1999 to 2013. Uh, that's fucking crazy. But here's the vinyl press information: uh, 300 pressed on green vinyl, thousand pressed on red, thousand pressed on clear yellow. Second pressing of a thousand copies in 2013, and since then there's been like I don't know, like maybe 2019. But um, mm-hmm. quantity of black vinyl unknown. Yes, I'm curious to know because <laughs> this is a very important. Would record. you be shocked if it was ten thousand? No. Uh, you know what? I don't know because these these color numbers are not super high, uh, but it, this might be like. You know, maybe that was Abolition's thing. Maybe it's uh, you get a lot of black vinyl floating around. Uh, you know, I I don't know. I just this record, it cannot be. I just can't be overstated. This is like a big, big fucking important record for people. Um, I'm fairly right. certain that, and we got to get going. I know you got to get going. Um, Havoc uh, Records was distributed through um, Abolition at least for a long time there, which is the label that had like you know. 20,000, 22,000 copies pressed of the Ostrotten uh, Fuck, Fuck Nazi Sympathy 7 Fuck. Where if you go, yeah, 10th. Actually, I think this is the 11th pressing, bringing it to 22,000 copies. And I lost the receipts for a pressing somewhere along the line. 12th pressing, 600, 2,000. So it's really more like 28,000 copies pressed of a 7 inch that was distributed. So shout out to that. Um, but but really? victory is the bad people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> victory sound twenty eight thousand records. Yo, um, before we go, go ahead. What's your thing? Pete? I just want to throw this out, out there. Mm-hmm. So this is a total Bob. This one, it wouldn't shock me if this was lost on you because it's very nearly lost on me. And Tom, you should know this, but you might not give a damn. The band Countervail. Yes, Nelly. When we are had talk- a moment, had a moment in 1999. Obscurities. Now, I had to do research to figure out if this band was a Southern California band because it was in my mind that they were, and they were. But 
this is the strangest fact, and we don't need to give Countervail too much time because uh, our mention of them is the most mention that uh, uh, Countervail has gotten in fucking 10 years at least. So shout out to Countervail. Everybody check that out if you're into like mm-hmm. kind of like – uh, 90s metalcore yeah it's crunchy it's 90s it's maybe they were they should have been somewhere in the they prior to the boom of oc metalcore they were kind of like oh is this going to be the next one right, right, right. um so, them next to the band show of hands who had a minute uh, i thought they were going to be really cool for the cal- the 1999 california hardcore thing um so here's the thing that i need to tell you though this is the fun fact from their last FM page for everybody. Shout out to last FM. Shout uh, out to Pat going to last FM for this time machine. Um, they played over a hundred shows in 1999. That's great. Okay. That's a big, big tour or something they did. That's insane. That's full us, Canada, three West coast tours and a tour of Hawaii. Jesus Christ. Everybody. That's fucking crazy. I had no they, idea. So, th- put, put this in your mind. This is a band that, no disrespect to Countervail, uh, I would I would venture that seven percent of our listeners are familiar with Countervail at all, even as a name. Is that fair? Sure. Maybe, maybe let's give it ten uh, percent. We'll go even ten. Countervail will be at Brain Dead Studios on July twenty eighth. <laughs> <laughs> we don't start till like ten. So if you want to come, listen, I'm not mad at Countervail. I'm just no. He's shouting them out. Plenty of good shit gets fucking uh, uh, forgotten. I'm just saying, for a band that nobody would necessarily remark on right now, a hundred shows at any time in that band's career is a lot, <laughs> dude. A hundred shows in a year is a lot. A hundred shows in a year is a lot. That's that's more than three months of touring. You know what I mean? Like, what are we talking about? That's amazing. I mean, just, but it's just crazy that you could. And there's so many bands of this type that like. People saw, made an impact on them at the moment, and for whatever reason, you know, from anything from distribution to internal band problems to, uh, you know, changing uh, uh, sensibilities, they, they just kind of get forgotten. And uh, well, they had a seven inch on that tour. It never made streaming. It never got onto a yeah, CD, like, and then it gets exactly. lost. Uh, there was there sorry, was one on. band that I wanted to close this out with. Is that okay, Patrick? Yeah, is it a Sarah Kirsch band? Because there's like 35. No, of there's tons of those. No, there's so much. So this is an idea we'll be revisiting because there's so much on this uh, bone. We have to pick it. Oh, um, but Bob, before we close out, for anybody that's gotten this far into the podcast, if you are a California person pulling their hair out, you need to you need some perspective. California is my favorite state in the United States. It is a great. Yeah, it's place. pretty great. Great for whatever great, great. reason. And a great, great fucking state for hardcore. But for whatever reason, uh, weirdly slept on. And that's all we're remarking on. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not saying you deserve to be forgotten. We're not saying. No. I don't even know if it's slept on. I think it's like there's New York bands that. There are New York. That, there's bands. There's stuff everywhere that gets slept on, right? Yeah. Right. We're just I, talking about the Cali bands because we're going to be there. But, but and, I don't think. I mean, I feel like Cali has owned hardcore for a while. I, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong either, but I think that California weirdly for a place that is so important and the center of culture for the United States in so many ways, I think that so many of the bands that should have penetrated and should have been like big where we were just weren't. And and I want to say it's part of it is that in California, there are a lot of places to play, but when you compare the amount of hubs on the, in the Metro North in the megalopolis, 
you just ha- you were at a disadvantage if you were a California band prior to say like two thousand five, maybe I don't know two thousand ten. You pick the date because once you get out of L.A., O.C., San Diego, maybe you throw in Bakersfield, then the Bay Area, a few spots. You have to drive five to ten to fifteen hours to play somewhere, and many of those spots are secondary. Whereas mm-hmm. if you are a band starting in New Jersey. You have twenty markets to drive to in five hours, easily. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Richmond, five hours away. Virginia Beach, a little more. D.C., Baltimore, Philly, New Jersey, New York, the city, Long Island, upstate, Connecticut, Boston, Providence. There's all these spots you can play. So, y'all were at a disadvantage. There's so much more to talk about, but Tom. And Patrick, I hope it's okay. There's one band who really deserves our time. Ignite. Oh, fuck. Oh, there's a place I like to go. Sit by the night at the toast, sunshine through the cotton furs, weeping willow. It's the process of my life. It took its toll on me now. Make a man. What's up? This is Lucas calling in from Germany with a report of our first show that we booked here in Nuremberg with Dare on last Thursday, the 7th of July at this uh, DIY punk location called the Project 31 where um, we had the locals of Cold Fury opening great guys great band um heavy hardcore not uh, metal core i don't know <laughs> it's hardcore um they fucking rock they've been doing it for i don't know 10 12 years they really know how to play um it's a shame they've never like outgrown the the locals status but um i don't think they ever wanted to they would have deserved it. The music rocks. Check them out. And then um, my band played our first show. Uh, we're called Fragment. And um, we had a lot of fun. We have not played as long as <laughs> Cold Fury. So um, there's been a couple, um, yeah, a couple mistakes. But nothing major. I think we sounded great. Uh, the sound in that venue, it's like a small, dark, sweaty basement as it should be floor show 60 70 people maybe um yeah it was really awesome it rocked and uh then dare came in and um this is like the second to last show on their month-long europe tour and they still had enough power to just blast to that set was a a lot of fun as you might be able to hear my blown out voice (laughs) lots of sing-alongs lots of moshing um, even though you really hit your head on that basement ceiling when you're <laughs> taller than six two, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was uh, there at uh, Project Thirty One in Nuremberg. I'm really hoping to be able to put on more shows there, play a bunch there, um, get some great bands in town, um, and then uh, two more shows that I've been to before that. Uh, one was Spy coming through to our little town here in, in Bavaria. Um, they played the KV and uh, at Zbau, which is another really really pretty little <laughs> punk DIY uh, venue. 
Um, as you know, if you've ever seen Spy, they manically blast through their 15-minute set. They leave no uh, no prisoners. They just yeah tear the place to shreds. It was a lot of fun. Um, did not really know or care about the openers um, too mosh heavy for me personally, but they did know how to play their instruments. I think they were called False Trip and uh, Yokai, bordering on, on Beatdown. Um, like I said, nothing bad. It's just, uh, yeah, wasn't in the mood for it on an evening where I'm trying to see a fast harker band like Spy. And um, then another show I've been to bef- just a couple of days before that um, in Rostock, Terror came through on their uh, tour of Germany, as they do like every three months. <laughs> Um, and they teamed up with One Step Closer, which was uh, the main reason why I went. I've seen Terror, I don't know how often, um, but I hadn't seen um, One Step Closer before, and it was so, so cool. They really know how to put on a show, and it's really um, amazing to to see that young, hardcore, straight-edge energy um, emanating from that small little stage. Yeah, great show. And um, also another local band played um, Hang Em Higher or something like that. And uh, they really had the the room <laughs> caught. I mean, they, yeah, as, as locals should. Um, also, great, great evening uh, up in Rostock on the, on the sea. Yeah, there was uh, three shows in Germany. Terror, One So Closer, Spy, and then uh, Dare. Really hope that this, um, yeah, this trend that we have going on in, in Germany of really sick shows that are better than most people would, would, would have expected. Um, really hope that that continues. Great local bands, um, combined with um, sick acts from from, from I don't know, overseas, outside, whatever touring bands. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Yeah.